We are in Exodus again this morning, Exodus chapter 5. It's going to be page 48 if you're using a pew Bible this morning. We have been walking through Exodus these past uh, months, this fall at least, taking a break for Advent. And so we, let me just remind us of, of where we've come to before we jump into chapter 5. Exodus is this battle. Uh, it looks like it's a battle between Pharaoh and Israelite people or the Hebrew people. So there's this battle that comes up between them, but we, we see early on in chapter 2, right away, Moses, the author of Exodus, tells us right away that this battle is not between Pharaoh and the Hebrews, but instead, it's not between Pharaoh and Moses. This battle is between Pharaoh and God. And he tells us at the end of chapter 2, if you remember, he says that the Israel groaned because of their slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And in verse 24 of chapter 2, it says, And God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. This battle is not about Pharaoh and the Hebrews. It's not about Pharaoh and Moses. This battle, not even the battle, all of the story of Exodus is about God. God is the one that heard. God is the one that remembered. God is the one that saw. God is the one that knew. And God is the one who will work. And so God begins to show up early on. As as we walk through Exodus, those first couple of chapters, God shows up in a burning bush for Moses out in the wilderness. He shows up in this unrivaled and personal, holy, living, saving way. He makes this appearance before and a pronouncement before Moses. And Moses responds to this unrivaled God, this perfect burning bush that doesn't, doesn't ever burn up. And he calls out to Moses, and Moses says, who am I? Moses immediately turns it onto himself, and and he's filled with all these self-examining excuses as he comes before God in Exodus chapter 3. He says, who am I? And God says, it's not about who you are. I will be with you, God says to Moses. Moses says, well, well, who who can I say sends me? Who are you? And God responds in Exodus chapter 3, I am who I am. I always have been. I always will be. Moses says, they're not going to believe me if I go. God says to Moses, here's your proof. Gives him a a staff that turns into a, a snake, a hand that gets leprosy and then disappears. He says, I will turn the Nile River into blood at your command. God says to Moses. Moses says, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm slow of speech. I, I, I'm afraid. I don't really want to go. I don't want to talk. And God says to Moses, who made your mouth? I will be with you. I will be with your mouth. The exact thing that you are afraid of. And finally, Moses in exasperation just says, please send someone else. I don't want to go. And God, even though his anger is kindled, it says in chapter 3 and 4, even though his anger is kindled, he calls Moses' brother Aaron and says, I will, I will be, I will speak to you, Moses. You will be as God to Aaron, and he will then speak to Pharaoh. And so he does, in fact, call another to help Moses. And so we looked last week, or, or the last message back in, in November, 
uh, we looked at, at chapter four. Moses has this experience with God in chapter three, and then he turns, he heads back to Jethro, he takes the sheep, he goes back to Jethro, he gathers up his family, he has now responded to God's call, he has agreed to go, he's packed up his family. God has even told him, the people who are, who are after you, the people who were chasing after you when you were, were running from Egypt because you had killed that Egyptian, those, those men are gone, they're dead, they're, 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 you no longer have to worry about them. So he packs up his family and he, and he heads off to Egypt to do exactly what God has called him to do. Finally, after all of this, this back and forth between Moses and God, he comes to this place where he's finally obeying and doing what God has commanded him, what God has called him to do. And in that moment, in this moment of, of what seems to me, what seems to us as relative safety, He's doing exactly what God has called him to do. At the end of chapter four, we have this story where Moses is headed, heading into Egypt doing exactly what God has called him to do and God tries to kill him at the end of chapter four, if you see that. Because Moses has not, God has done all these things, he's made all these pronouncements, he's made this call, he's given him these commands, but Moses has not done what he was supposed to do on his side of the, of the covenant. He was supposed to circumcise his sons, he had not done that. And so God, his, his, his anger is, is rekindled against Moses and seeks to put him to death. And Zipporah quickly accomplishes and rescues Moses and completes the circumcision, does exactly what Moses had not done, what he had failed to fulfill, and Moses' life is spared because of her quick work. And so finally, Moses and Aaron connect, and you see at the end of, of Exodus chapter four, if you look there, the end of chapter four, Moses and, and Aaron, they finally connect, they head into Egypt, they meet with the elders of the, of the Israelites, the, he, the elders of the Hebrews, and it says... Uh, in verse 31 of chapter 4, the end of the chapter, it says, And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshipped. That's where we left the story. The, the, Moses and Aaron show up. They, they, they show the signs that God had given to him. Moses tells about the, the experience with the burning bush. He says, God has, God has heard, he has seen, he knows, he remembered. God is going to rescue you. And, and the Israelite people, they, they, they respond. They immediately respond. They, they, they bow their heads, they worship. They, they know that God has seen them, that God has heard them, that God is going to rescue them, that their oppression is almost over, that they're going to, be, they're going to, to escape from the slavery that they've been a part of with Pharaoh. They are rescued. Everything is, is changed. They're on this upward trajectory. Everything is going perfectly. They are going to be rescued. That's where we left the story in November. And that's where we turn to in the story here in Exodus chapter five. Moses and Aaron, they have confidence. The Hebrew people, they have confidence as we turn into Exodus chapter five. Let's read it together. It'll be on the screen. It's also on page 48 if you're using a pew Bible this morning. Exodus chapter five, we're gonna start in verse one. Afterward, after they bowed their heads, after they worshiped, after everything was great. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, 
The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens? The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all of Egypt, through the land of Egypt, to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day as, there is, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters set over them, were beaten and they were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? And the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you still must deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh and speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Here in Exodus chapter 5, it seems like everything's going really well at the end of chapter 4. Moses and Aaron, they have, they have come with confidence. In fact, you, you see as they, uh, we don't have any idea how they got an audience with Pharaoh, but, but they have an audience with Pharaoh. They have walked in to the, to the throne room before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. They've gotten an audience with him, and they, they walk in, and you can just see it. You can see Charlton Heston, if you've seen, if you've seen the Ten Commandments. You, you know he walks in with authority, and he says, Thus says the Lord, listen. God has said, let my people go. They're so confident. They know exactly. They know exactly what's going to happen. Pharaoh's going to hear what God has said. That he's going to respond. He's, in fact, he's going to come off the throne immediately. He's going to bow down and he's going to give permission for all of the Hebrews. to. That's, that's how they walk into the room. Thus says the Lord. 
They know that God is in charge. They know that God is going to accomplish what he has set out to accomplish. And they know that the message that they have brought, this message that, that Moses got in the wilderness, this message that, that Moses and Aaron have teamed up to share, they're ready. They have this confidence that, that has built up in them, which is surprising because Moses, so far, outside of this one time when Moses as a young man comes out and sees an Egyptian beating up a Hebrew and, and responds immediately and, and kills that Egyptian and hides his body, that, that's really the only time so far that Moses has had any kind of gumption at all. Every other time that we've seen Moses, he's, he's cowered back, he's, he's given excuses, he's, he's looked into himself trying to figure it out. So, so the fact that Moses here shows up with this confidence, thus says the Lord, is surprising to us. Because that's not who Moses has been, so far at least. In fact, that's not who Moses is gonna be at the end of the chapter, even. But Moses... Moses has seen God, and there's, this, there's, there's something about his experience with God which, which begins to change him. He's not instantly changed because, as I said, you're, we'll see at the end of the chapter, he cowers again here at the end of the chapter. Moses is not instantly changed, but, but he has, this change has begun in him because of his experience seeing and being with God. It's similar to when we walk through the book of Acts. It's similar to the story in, in Acts chapter 4 when, when Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit settles on the disciples and they, and they wander out and, and they begin to preach forcefully. And, and all of these people begin to say, who are these guys? These are just ordinary, unschooled men. How, how, have, they become, how have they become this force? How have they become these preachers? How have they become so courageous? And it's because they... They spent time with Jesus. It's be, even more than that, because even, even as Jesus was, was crucified, they, they scattered, they ran for their lives. So it's even more than that. It's that the Holy Spirit is, is at work in them, that they have met with God, and that God lives and works in them, and it gives them the confidence to be who they had not been before. And that's true with Moses. He's, he's a work in progress, but God is, Moses has been with God. Moses has seen God. Moses had had this, this God experience. And he comes in with confidence. Thus says the Lord, let my people go. But Pharaoh, this is not the same Pharaoh that we had back in Exodus chapters 1 and 2. Uh, this, this is a different Pharaoh. It's been 80 years, more than 80 years, since, since the Pharaoh that we had in chapter 2, the Pharaoh that, that was trying to have the babies killed. It's, it's been more than 80 years now. Moses is 80 years old as he comes to the burning bush. A new Pharaoh has taken, has taken over. And this is the first picture that we have of Pharaoh. This new Pharaoh shows up on the scene, his very first part, his very first line, if we, were, if we were in a play, if you were watching this on a movie, Pharaoh walks into the room and his, his very first line, thus says the Lord, Moses says. And in verse two, but Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Can you hear it? As he scoffs at Moses and Aaron, he laughs at their confidence Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? This passage is filled with that question. 
Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Pharaoh, he asks it directly. Right here, we'll talk about it in just a second. He, he asks it directly. But, but it's more than just that. This, this, this question shows up several times in this passage. Pharaoh says it. Who is this Lord? But the, but the Hebrews, the one who just were bowing down and worshiping at the end of chapter 4, those same Hebrew people, the Israelite people, in just a few verses, they're going to be asking the same question. It doesn't say it word for word in the scripture like, like it does for Pharaoh, but, but they're saying the same thing. Who is, who is this Lord that we should obey him, that we should trust him, that we should listen to him? And Moses at the very end, Moses himself the guy that just was at the burning bush, the guy that just had those instructions from God, Moses himself at the end, he starts the chapter by saying, thus says the Lord, and he ends the chapter by saying, who is this Lord that we should obey him? Who is this? It's the question that gets repeated over and over in the chapter, and I think it gives us a picture of oftentimes our own hearts and our own, our own feelings, because there are oftentimes that we have that same question who is this Lord and why should we care? Why should we obey him? So our question today is what causes us to have that build up in us? What causes us to question it? What causes us to doubt God? What causes us to question his instructions and his commands for us? Pharaoh questions it. The Hebrews question it. Moses questions it. And I think we have three examples, three reasons that we see here in Exodus chapter 5. The first we see in Pharaoh, it's Pharaoh's own arrogance, it's Pharaoh's own pride, it's his own sinful and selfish heart that causes him to ask this question, who is this Lord that I should obey his voice and let the people go? Pharaoh, Pharaoh himself, we've talked about this already, but Pharaoh himself, he believes that he is a god. That he, 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 he believes, or at least the, 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 I think he believes it too, but the Egyptian people, they believe that Pharaoh, their leader, is actually a, a, a child of the, of the gods. That he himself is a deity. That he himself is worthy to be worshipped. And he, he believes it. He knows it. He lives it. And so he says, why why should I, who is this Lord that you're talking about? Who is this God that you're bringing into my throne room and, and saying, thus says the Lord? Who, who cares? Why should I capitulate, Pharaoh is saying, to someone else? Why should I listen to some other God? I'm in charge. This is my throne room. This is my palace. This is my country. I'll do what I please because I am the one Who's in charge? In fact, he mocks. He mocks Moses and Aaron. He says, he says, you, you come in here with this command. Who is this Lord that I should obey his voice? He says, Moses, he says to Moses and Aaron, get back to your burdens. And there's no, there's no better mockery than that. Get back to your burdens, he says to Moses and Aaron. And in fact, not only does he, does he shove them off, get back to your burdens, but then he gives instructions. He says, these Israelites, these Hebrews, we, we, have, we have so many of them. There, there, are, there are slaves that we, we, we have, all of them working all over the kingdom. And they've been building these bricks for us, making these bricks. They've been packing this clay together in these forms. And then they, they let them dry in the sun. And, and we're able to create these huge and, and beautiful and great 
things, uh, architecture things in our country because of the bricks that they've been building. And, and so far, they've been doing this brickwork, but we've been providing the straw, the, the, the kind of glue that holds all of these bricks together. We, we, we bring in piles of straw for them to make these bricks. And Pharaoh says, from now on, we're not going to bring in these piles of straws. They still need the straw in order to make the bricks, but we're not going to bring the straw in for them anymore. Now they have to make the same number of bricks that they've always made, but they're on their own to find the straw to hold and glue those bricks together. Pharaoh's decided that he is, he's no longer going to, to, to help them out. He, just, he wants them to get back to their burdens. In fact, the quote that he has there in verse 9, he says, Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it, and pay no regard to the lying words. Talking about Moses and Aaron, their lying words. Let the heavier work be laid on them. If you remember, we talked about this earlier, but the, the, the words that, the Hebrew words that get used in this, in, in this story, the word for work and the word for worship are, are from the same root. They're, they're almost the same word. The word work and worship. And several times, we walked through this already several times, but, but the idea is, is Pharaoh continues to to tell the people to work. And, and if you remember back as we looked at it in, in, in chapter 2, I believe, it, it said uh, that, that they worked, they worked, they worked, they worked seven times. In one verse there, it talks about how hard they had to work at serving Pharaoh. And that God, in chapter 4, God calls them out so that they might worship. And they use the same word, the work that they were doing for Pharaoh, and the work, the worship, that they do for God. It's the same word. Let the heavier work be laid on them, Pharaoh says. Pharaoh, Pharaoh is, is using the Israelites, he's using the Hebrew people to make slaves to labor in his country. But God is calling those same people with that same word, God is calling those same people, but he's calling them out so that they might be sons who come to worship. Pharaoh wants workers, and God wants worshipers. And in fact, later, as you see the taskmasters and the foremen, the, the, the phrase that they use is, is they, the foremen, they're coming to Pharaoh to complain about the fact that they don't get straw anymore. And if you look at there, you see they say, we're your servants, they say to Pharaoh. We're your servants, which it would be the same phrase that we might use as we come before God. We are your servants. We come to worship you. Pharaoh, Pharaoh in his pride and in his arrogance and in his own sinful nature, he's taking charge. And he's showing, who is this God, he says. In fact, he wants, he, and, the, and the way the story leads us here in chapter 5 is, is we're to see that Pharaoh is making himself the one that's in charge. He's making himself and equal to God, to the Lord, to Yahweh. He's trying to make himself an equal. In fact, if you see it there in verse 10, Moses and Aaron, they walked into the throne room in verse 1. You remember, thus says the Lord. In verse 10, it says, so the taskmasters and the foremen, they go to the people to give the instructions that Pharaoh has says, and they say in verse 10, thus says Pharaoh. Almost exactly the same thing. Pharaoh is making himself an equal to God. 
And we shouldn't be surprised at that. We shouldn't be caught off guard by that because, because we all do it. Maybe not to the extent that Pharaoh has. None of us in this room probably would consider ourselves to be deities. But we sure act like it sometimes. There are sure times in our lives where our pride and our arrogance begin to make us think and feel like we're equal to God. We wouldn't say it that directly, but we act it. We're wired to want our own way. We're wired to put ourselves in the place of God. We're wired to be our own gods. And too often when we begin to question and doubt God, when we begin to look at his word and, 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 and throw it off because it's not the way that we want it to be and it doesn't say what we want it to say and we don't, doesn't, God doesn't do what we want him to do and he doesn't answer in the way that we want him to answer, it's because our own pride and our own selfish nature has kept us from seeing and knowing God in his fullness. We want to be God on our own. Our hearts are sinful. Our attitudes are arrogant. Our actions are selfish. And too often we ourselves say, who is this Lord and why should I obey him? It's because of our own hearts. Pharaoh's an example of that for us in this story. But the second example that we see in this comes from the Hebrew people. One of the reasons why we might question, one of the reasons why we might doubt, one of the reasons why we might say, who is this God and why should I obey him is because our circumstances are hard. That's the story of the Hebrew people. That's the example of the Hebrew people. Their circumstances are hard. Their circumstances are dire. The Hebrews, remember, at the end of chapter 4, they, they, they believed and they worshipped. They're, they're all set. Things, things are, are primed to get better. We're about to be rescued. We're about to overcome this oppression that we have. They, and, 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 they're, and they're all set. In fact, they're, they're, they're probably singing the song. This is what's been in my head this week as, as I've been thinking about this. They're, they're singing, oh, child, things are going to get easier. Yeah, there you go. Things are going to get brighter. That's, that's what's going on in there. That, you know, they're, they're singing these songs. We're, we're, it's it's going to happen. We're going to be rescued. We're going to be, we're, 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 we're going to be rescued. God is on our side. We worshiped. We bowed our heads. We believed. We worshiped. Things are going to get better. And yet this passage shows us that things do not immediately get better. In fact, they come before Pharaoh and they say, why do you treat us like this? We, we used to have straw. Now we don't have straw anymore, but now we still have to make the same amount of bricks. This, things are not getting better. Things are getting harder for us. We thought we were about to leave. We thought we were about to be rescued. We thought we were gonna, that God had finally seen and heard and knows and remembers. But our work isn't getting easier. Get back to your burdens, Pharaoh says. In fact, the, the phrase in verse uh, 19 is the foreman of the people of Israel, they saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They knew they were in trouble. Oftentimes we question and doubt God when our circumstances don't get better. They don't get easier. They don't get brighter. We think we're, we're, we're doing what we've 
been asked to do. We, we're, we're going where we've been called to go. We, we're responding the way that we've been called to respond. We're, we're obeying the way that we're supposed to obey. We want to be optimistic people. We want to say things are going to get easier. Things are going to get brighter. In fact, sometimes we go so far, this, and I think this is true of the, of the Israelites, of the Hebrews. I think they said, we're, we're, we're children of the king. We are God's chosen people. We are the covenant people that God has made a covenant with. We are, we are a people of the creator of the universe. We are, we are the treasured possessions of, of the sovereign, most high God. Why aren't things easier? Why are my circumstances so hard? And too often our hardships and our difficulties cause us to question and say, who is this Lord and why should I obey him? In fact, the Hebrews, they're so caught off guard by this that they go to Pharaoh and they, they see they're in trouble. They get the call to go back and to make the bricks. And when they run into Moses and Aaron, they come out of seeing Pharaoh, they run into Moses and Aaron and they just say, you have made us stink before Pharaoh. You have not made things better. You have made things so much worse. Now we, 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 we stink before him. You've put a sword in their hand, they're gonna kill us. The Hebrew people say. Which leads us to the third example of people who ask these questions about God. Moses hears this call from the Hebrew people, this curse that the Hebrew people put on him. The Lord look at you and judge because you've made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh. And Moses is influenced by by his people around him, by his friends, by those around him, and that causes Moses himself to doubt God, to internally ask that question, who is the Lord and why should I obey him? Moses asks that question himself. In fact, he says it literally, and as you look at verses 22 and 23 at the end of the chapter, Moses turns to the Lord and he says, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? Why did you ever send me? He enters in, at the beginning of the chapter, enters into Pharaoh's throne room and says, thus says the Lord. Pure confidence. He exudes it. He, he knows God is going to respond. He ends the chapter. Moses starts the chapter, thus says the Lord. He ends the chapter by saying, ever since that you have, have called me to speak your name, Pharaoh's done evil, and you have not delivered your people at all. Hear the difference? Same guy. Thus says the Lord. You haven't delivered your people at all. Moses is disillusioned. Moses is broken by what's happening. He's confused and begins to question it. Moses has been easily swayed and impacted and influenced by the people around him. The Hebrews are upset. The Hebrews are, are, are disgusted with what's happened. They're critical of Moses, and he has been swayed. And Moses begins to say, who is this Lord, and why should I obey him? So what's the answer? 
to these questions. What's the answer to Pharaoh? What's the answer to the, to the one who, who is determined to get his own way, to make himself God, to do things the way he wants to do? And he says, who is this Lord that I should obey him? What's the answer to the Hebrews? Who their burdens are growing, their tasks are getting harder, their circumstances are beyond what they think they can bear. And they say, who is this God and why should we obey him? What's the answer to Moses? When he says, I have done what you have called me to do. I've come before Pharaoh, but God, you have not saved anyone at all. And he's influenced by those around him. What's the answer for him when he says, who is this God and why should I obey? The answer comes in chapter 6, which we'll look at next week. But go ahead and look at verses 1 and 2 in chapter 6. Because it has one of the best phrases in all of scripture that we see over and over in scripture. Moses says in verse 23 of chapter five, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to his people and you have not delivered your people at all. And verse one of chapter six says, but the Lord said to Moses. And verse two says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. What's the response to Pharaoh when he says, who is this Lord that I should obey him? To the Hebrews who says, who is this Lord that I should obey him? To Moses when he says, who is this Lord that I should obey him? It's this, but God says, I am the Lord. Our hope, our hope is not it's not in ourselves, though we oftentimes go there. Our hope is not in what we see of our circumstances. Our hope is not in those who, who influence us and who are gathered around us. Our hope is in God, but God. When we're determined to get our own way, and it doesn't, it doesn't go the way that we want it to go, and we're influenced by those around us. When, when, when we try to do our own thing, but God reminds us, just as he reminded Job, you think you can get your own way, but where were you, he says to Job. Where were you when, when I created the world, when I separated the shore from the sea? When the Hebrews cry out and say, my life is getting harder, not easier when we cry out and say, my circumstances, God, they are not on the upward trajectory, but they are going down. But God says, I work all things together. I work all things together for the good of those who love me. When we're influenced by those around us and we cry out, who is this God and why should we obey him? But God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. The ways that you think things should go are not the ways that they always go. My thoughts are different than your thoughts. Our hope this morning, even as we come to communion in just a moment here, is the but gods of Scripture. For Pharaoh, for the Hebrews, for Moses, it's but God says, I am the Lord. That's what we'll look at next week. 
For us, our hope is in the but gods of Scripture as well. Romans chapter 5 says, but God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace that we have been saved. But God, we were lost. We were alone. We were trying to do it on our own, in our own strength and in our own power, making ourselves God. Our circumstances were not going the way that we thought they were going to go. We're influenced and impacted by all of these other things around us. But God. But God made a way for us through Christ, through Jesus. That's what we're going to celebrate at the table today. God has made a way for us. Who is this Lord? I am the Lord, he says. He is our hope. Christ is our hope. And we'll celebrate that together today. The worship team's going to come and lead us. We're going to share in communion. We have open communion. We have an invitation in your bulletin. If you can live under that invitation, we want you to celebrate with us today. In just a few moments, the elders will come and they'll, they'll reveal the, the elements here at the table and we'll, they'll have you leave your pews and come forward. We would love to have you come forward and take the two cups that are there. One cup has the bread, one cup has the juice, they're stacked together. Take both of those cups as you head back to your pews and then we'll take them together this morning. If you aren't comfortable in sharing in communion with us today, we understand that. You certainly can, can come forward with your pew or stay there in your seat, whatever is most comfortable for you. If you're not able to come forward, just flag one of those elders down as they come through and they'll serve you at your pew there at your table. Worship team is going to lead us. We are going to worship together as we're served and we're going to remember God says, I am the Lord and gives us hope. Exalted Son of Glory, humbly came down, wounded for the broken, bore the sinner's crown. Through the willing death you died, you became our bread of life. Jesus, we hunger and thirst for you. As we remember your sacrifice, we see the wounds from your hands and pierced side, extravagant love, oh how great the 
the bread we eat reminds us you are all we need and makes us long for your wedding feast. The cup we drink, the bread we eat, reminds us you are all we need and makes us love for us, sent his son, who was broken on the cross and died for us. Take and eat and be grateful. His blood was shed for our sins so that we might have remission for our sins as we look and trust in him, take and drink and be grateful. Please stand this morning for our benediction. It comes from Romans chapter 15. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.